0: Nobody has all the answers. So collaboration and partnerships are the future as far as I'm concerned. The minute people find their passion and their purpose, they become an entrepreneur. I look now for people with passion, commitment. You can learn the other stuff. The number of people you employ is not important. It's the impact that you're making in the world that's important.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Corn Ferry's Goliath Meet David podcast. I'm your host, John Palumbo, and I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Stuckey from Corn Ferry. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, John. Now, we created this podcast for all you executives out there, especially those of you from big enterprise companies, from the Goliaths, um, who are interested in learning how those how those Davids, those leaner, more nimble startups and their founders operate, since, since they've found ways to do things like convey their mission across their organizations and beyond, foster an entrepreneurial spirit, even attract talent that a lot of larger companies have trouble attracting. So there's a, there's a lot to admire and and learn from these Davids, which is why there's so many books and articles and blogs um, out there that are focused on this topic. The thing is, a lot of that information tends to bombard you with bullet points or or, or headlines about what you can do to act like a startup. And while that's all well and good, we wanted to do things a bit differently. And we wanted to speak directly to startup founders and executives and ask them the questions that Goliaths really care about. In fact, a lot of the questions that we're asking were submitted by, by Goliaths that are out there. So um so simply put, you're you're gonna get information that you really want straight from the horses or the David's mouths. Um so let's get to it. For this episode, our David is Sarah Collins. Hi Sarah, thanks for being here.
0: Hi, John, hi Cynthia, thank you very much for having me.
1: So Sarah is the founder and CEO of Wonderbag, which was chosen as one of Time magazine's fifty genius companies uh, just definitely pay a visit to wonderbag.org and learn all about her company um, and, and what we're going to do is ask Sarah a bunch of questions about her company's best practices and strategies across all different areas that Goliaths are really interested in learning um, okay so so let's get started so Sarah I think I think a good way to kick things off would be for you to tell us a bit about your company and your background.
0: So, um, you know, I grew up in a a very wild and sort of feral environment, I suppose. I I grew up in apartheid South Africa. My parents lived the the epitome of um, how South Africans lived in those days. We were brought up. Um, by our nannies. I learned to speak English when I was seven. You know, our parents were drinking gin and tonics and and much more interested in all of that than children. And um, so we grew up on our farm um, and very much integrated with our staff and our staff's families. And I had, but I also grew up in a deeply patriarchal home and in apartheid, which was... Um, you know, inhumane. And so from a very young age, and I cannot answer this on this podcast, but when you find out the answer, I would love to know, (laughs) is what made me realize at such a young age that I was going to spend the rest of my life being a freedom fighter and fighting. Actually, I call myself a poverty activist because it's about women and transforming the world for women because I didn't want more girls to be born into the world that I was born into and so that was the really that was the fundamental start of Wonderbag which only occurred in 2008 it actually came to realize uh, fruition but I have um, spent my entire life I've never had a job I've never I mean, I've never had the luxury of a desk or be, being employed. That's like so glamorous to me. I've always had a social enterprises which are around um, community development and tourism. I started the first woman horseback safari business in Africa. I then went on to Run a very big safari company with twenty thousand community members, and um, by the age of twenty nine. So I was always doing everything that everyone said I couldn't do, but it was always about women and um, looking at life through their lens and how could we empower women to be greater role models for their children and get the and get the girls into school. So that's that's really how I role. Uh, Never had a grand title or anything like that, but run these amazingly exciting um, social enterprises. And when I, but I was getting frustrated in the years leading up to 2008, and I was really feeling like I was destined for greatness. I was destined to change the world. I knew I could do it, but I just didn't have, it, it was eluding me. And um I was putting so much work into these community projects, but I wasn't actually seeing the economic shifts and the game changes that the world needed to solve the biggest problem in the world, which is that half of humanity cook off an open fire every day and eat off an open fire. <laughs> And that's the biggest killer in the world. Seven million people die annually, and everyone's dealing with AIDS and malaria. And everyone thinks that you know the biggest uh, thing is Facebook and all the all these smart um, you know companies that are saving the world's problems come out of Silicon Valley. And I'm saying, hold on. My issue is is that half of humanity still are chained to fi- fires, mm. so with all of this in mind at um at in 2008 i suddenly went why can't we look at heat retention cooking my grandmother cooked in a box with cushions because she was a war child and she didn't want to spend money on on fossil fuels we had very little because of sanctions anyway and i Fell across this idea of heat retention cooking, and that is the basis of what WonderBag is. It is a very, very simple idea about an alternative to cooking off an open flame for uh, for half of humanity. Ah, what a great story! Wow, so, yeah, that's how a, powerful. Yeah,
1: really. And how did how did you get it off the ground? How did you get it started?
0: Well, John, I could say you can wait and read my book. But seeing I'm on the podcast, <laughs> I'm going to tell oh, you. Oh,
1: good plug. I love that.
0: <laughs> um, I, I don't know if you've ever met a woman or a person with a passion and with a complete and utter belief in something. And if you have, you will have met me because – there was nothing that was going to stop. I knew in my heart, every human being I met told me that I was, how many more things did they have to try out? How many more things did they have to do surveys on with their gardeners and their, and, um and in their own homes and whatever, you know, they were like, what's making this different? And I, because I, you know, run earthworm farming businesses and, um, huge uh, repurposing and and garbage and all different things. And so when Wonderbag came along, I, I knew in my heart that this was the game changer and that my life would never be the same. What I didn't know was that I was actually jumping out of an airplane with not no parachute, but literally no knowledge, no parachute, not even knowing where the earth was, where (laughs) I was going to fall, how I was going to get there. And, uh, you know, you'd think 11 years later, I wasn't still in free fall, but it's been that journey of building that parachute as I go. And so I knew all i had to do was start making wonder bags and selling them so i went to the i went to three markets a week one um, in, in different um uh, eco sort of uh, so one in in townships where you know there was a lot of um people eating goat's heads and unusual food and then one in a smart sort of middle class um Uh, area and then one in a rural area and so I started testing the market in the back you know making 10 bags a week and selling them and then a friend said wow this is quite cool it's quite fun hanging with you so she started doing it with me and that's what I did and then I went to everybody that I knew who um. I thought should have a social conscience and should be actually listening to me and delivered dinner to them in a wonder bag. Oh, that's <laughs> so
1: great that's,
0: yeah. that's how I rolled, and literally that's people great. were just thinking I was insane. <laughs>
2: Well, listen, we're, we're going to move then, Sarah, after hearing that compelling kind of experience you've had. Let's let's begin to talk a little bit about mission. And we know in these big enterprise firms, Sarah, that many of them do have a mission, but nearly almost all of the current CEOs haven't created that. They've simply been the ones that have inherited it because the original founders, you know, have longstanding are no longer there. So the mission is often one they inherit. It's um, for a legacy mission to remain effective CEOs now must be able to communicate this kind of mission clearly and effectively through modern channels and communicate it to the corporate employees on a frequent basis but unfortunately a lot of the surveys are showing us that executives in these big enterprise firms find that many of them think their companies lack a cohesive vision for the future in other words the CEOs are not doing a great job of communicating the firm's vision And then there's the Davids, there's the Davids like you and studies show that startups that flourish often have founders and CEOs who are mission driven and can rally the workforce and, and join that, um, that mission kind of with that in mind, how, how have you been able to go about rallying your troops and creating that dedicated passion for the company and even yourself as, as you continue to grow and evolve your, your business?
0: You know, I think because Wonderbag is something very unique, it is different, Mm. it's magical. It's not what people expect of a tech startup. We are a technology startup. I didn't come out of Silicon Valley. I came off a farm in KwaZulu-Natal. but we are leaning on ancient technology. The oldest cooking technology in the world is heat retention cooking. So we are bringing back a technology that is very relevant, if more relevant in the 21st century than it's ever been. And I think when your workforce are part of a solution that every bag is saving 10 t- trees in its lifetime. So we look at a, a life mm. of a bag is 10 years you know when you look at the impact of that bag and to explain why is when you put the food, usually if you're cooking beans um you will be cooking on an open fire for eight hours now, you are only using that for 20 minutes putting the pot inside the um, insulated bag closing it and leaving it to cook with and putting the fire out so the benefits yes. of that directly on a woman in rural Africa who couldn't feed her family more than three times a week and you suddenly seeing this spring up it talks to people's inner purpose. Yeah. And so I think in order to rally my troops, I find it extremely important for them to stay connected to our roots. So we go out into the areas, into the rural areas. We spend a lot of time in refugee camps because the humanitarian world is the world that I'm very focused on. And when we go and, and listen to soccer moms or... Um, you know, busy mums in America who suddenly are able to spend more time with their children because suicide hours, no longer trying to throw food on the table as well as do everybody's homework and a husband to, you know, suddenly there's this zen kind of feeling and people love that. People love being part of a solution that is tangible and actionable. So that's how we are able to... um, keep our teams connected.
2: I think, Sarah, you've done a tremendous job of sharing with us a perspective when you talk about the fact that you keep people um, connected to the root of your objective and goal and purpose and what problem it solves. And you're able to, you touch people's inner purpose was the term you used. Um, I think that's a very compelling Uh, message for CEOs today who are struggling with a mission or purpose and finding a way to make it relevant to people. And that's the approach you've used. And it sounds like it's worked effectively. Um, Do you, is that the same thing that keeps you as motivated as you are? That same connection to the inner purpose and the roots of your being as a company?
0: Absolutely. All I have to do when I'm having a week like I'm having this week (laughs) is um, get on an airplane and fly to South Sudan and go and spend a week with my team in the refugee camp in Bidi Bidi camp where there are 1.8 million refugees in the last 18 months. And those refugees had no hope. You look at people's eyes, and they are women are just they blank. They are just resolved to a life of rape, oppression, no no opportunity for themselves, for their children. And we brought in Wonderbag eighteen months ago, and we. Have got these thriving communities. The kids are bubbling with selling food at school. The the I mean, it's just it's so it's so amazing. I can't tell you. And you know, you're sleeping in a in a a, a mission on you know under a mosquito net, out in in the parts of rural Africa that people have never, ever been to. And you've taken something that's a catalyst, not just out of poverty, but that is giving dignity and freedom. How can you not be moved by that? And that just ignites my flame and says, you know what? I can rock you, New York. I can take you on London.
1: So, so Sarah, let me let me ask you this: it, it, When it comes back to the mission, so we, l- l- as Cynthia had talked about, it's it's very difficult See, you convey your mission in a way where, and and one of the approaches you use is to show, you know, have have people stay connected to the to their roots, and but but when it comes to these bigger companies, as as Cynthia had had said. It's really difficult for the CEOs to to convey that mission for all types of reasons. What advice would you give the CEO to 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 better communicate their mission based on what maybe based on things that you do?
0: I would if I was a, if I could t- give some advice to the CEOs is commu- c- communicate it on a personal level actually bring it back to humanness because I think that, if you can bring this back to a human connection, we are all struggling for human connection and our our sense of belonging in this world. And I think that at no time like ever is that more evident now. And I think with the advent of social media and all these other ways of of communicating and identifying and and distracting people from actually the fact that we are human. And if if a CEO can touch somebody's human humanness. So it doesn't matter what product they're selling or what they are, what their mission is, but if they can bring it down into bite-sized chunks that actually has a connection with the human spirit. And I also think that if CEOs can be more vulnerable, can speak about mm. um, a mission in a vulnerable way and, and garner support through humanity and look for, within your mission, look for solutions that are going to be part of the social good of this world. And I think that that is the key not only to the growth of their businesses and the health of their businesses and the health of their of their workforce but I think it becomes part of a global solution of which we all want to be
1: yeah it's a great it's a great point okay so 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 Sarah we we all we all know that that collaborating and partnering with with outside firms it can benefit our company in, in a lot of different ways. It can help us get things done more quickly. It allows us to outsource some responsibilities, which can end up being cost efficient for the company and so on. Uh, and the and, uh, thing is, a lot of Goliaths are sometimes hesitant. They hesitate when it comes to collaborating and partnering with outside companies. I mean, and their hesitation might stem from, it might be confidentiality, maybe just because they, they have a hard time relinquishing control they don't they don't. They just don't trust another company can get the job done that, that as well as they can. I'm curious, how, how does your company approach collaborating and partnering with outside companies and, and maybe give us examples of when and why you do it? And, and are you ever hesitant like those Goliaths and how do you overcome that?
0: I'm a great, great believer in collaboration and, um, And I think that the arrogance of many big corporations and when I say arrogance is their size and the fact that they feel that they have hired the best of the best. And so they don't need to collaborate with outside entities is often what prevents them from actually seeing that some of some of the most talented people in the world are unemployable and therefore do have to work for themselves and do have great solutions and collaborating with them would bring a lot of strength and um, for both parties. So I think that that mindset, um, we, we need to pivot that mindset that that Google doesn't have all the answers, or you know, nobody has all the answers. So, collaboration and partnerships are the future, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I I do also understand that the fear of um of corporations with their their layers and layers of legalities and um. You know, all the different things that they have to go to to protect their name, their reputation, what can be said, you know, all of those different things um, are quite preventative to uh, partnering with, um, with startups or enterprises that are Kind of far less litigious, far less concerned about that, and just really want to get the job done and want to get more bags into homes, you know. So, um, so there's that mismatch there. Um, hmm. So I, so and that also forms a, I a, a, a suppose, a, a bridge or a challenge. I want to say it's a challenge.
1: So, so Sarah, moving on. One of the things I think everyone, everybody admires about about smaller, um, leaner, let's say, faster moving startups is, you know, David's is is the is the entrepreneurial spirit that everyone seems to 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 have. And of course, a lot of a lot of larger corporations, a lot of the Goliaths out there, they want to instill that spirit in their employees as well. So what advice would you give to leadership at big corporate companies that want to facilitate this entrepreneurial culture?
0: I mean, I, I think that the, the question, are entrepreneurs born or made, is, um, is is too simplistic because I think the minute people find their passion and their purpose, they become an entrepreneur. And whether that's within a corporation or without outside mm. of a corporation. That's a great
1: point.
2: You directly said that you made some um, shifts in your talent strategies um, over, mm. over the time that you've grown. And I think that's one of the hardest things for, you know, big entrepreneurial companies. So I'd like to ask you a question around that. How, how did you know when and what did you do to shift your talent strategies to continue to drive your business forward?
0: It's a funny thing you asked me. This is my worst question <laughs> because you know it, it, it. This I failed. I failed many times with with my with the talent. You know, I thought that people with big PhDs and big, you know, or came out of large corporations like Microsoft, or where they had all the answers, and so I would, I would not. I would think that they would come in and and have the solutions like all these people bring in the consultants with all these, um, you know, so many degrees MBAs and they think these consultants are going to have all the answers. Well, that's not actually true. And so, you know, I looked I look now for people with passion commitment you can learn the other stuff and I've learned to trust myself more and not to think that everybody else out there has the solution because they have a bigger degree or they've worked at a bigger company than me so I think um, in, in answer to I mean to directly so I have we've evolved with our skill set in terms of and the the team um i think we've become simpler because we have come to realize that the number of people you employ is not important it's the impact that you're making in the world that's important so i thought like The more people I hired, the bigger I would seem, the more appealing I am to uh, you know as a part uh, for people to partner with me. But actually, simplicity, honesty, and passion inspire hard work, and you get far better results. Um, And so that's that's what I've learned. Is I don't want to. surround myself and and the wonder bag does not need to be driven with people who have all the answers because not one of us has all the answers it has to be teamwork and i think that trust simplicity authenticity and vulnerability are the the foremost important words that i can um use when forming a team and um and and walking that the journey and, it, you know, I'm walking the next 10 years now. And, and that's who I want to walk with.
1: Well, uh, Sarah, thank you so much for, for all the time, all the fascinating and really inspiring stories and, and, for, and for being one of our, one of our Davids today. We, re, we really appreciate you doing this.
0: Well, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you, John. And thank you very much for having me.
1: And for everyone listening, we hope this was as inspiring for you as it was for us and you're, and you're able to take some of the advice and strategies and approaches that Sarah discussed and apply them to your business. Thanks so much for listening.